We all know kids love their snacks, but finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that won't break the bank isn't always easy. That's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids love the Lara bars, seaweed snacks, and the skinny dip dark chocolate almonds. But Thrive Market is so much more than snacks. They also have organic and essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products, and clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues, where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. I'm always trying to get more fruits and vegetables and real foods in my kids' diets, but between school, work, sports, and everything else we have going on, I don't have a lot of time. I need simple, easy kitchen appliances that can help me save time, and the one that I can't do without is the Vitamix. When I received it as a Christmas present a few years ago, I admit I was skeptical because I already had a blender, but the first time I used it, I was hooked. Unlike other blenders, the Vitamix blends everything up into a super smooth consistency, much like a juicer would, except you get all the nutritious fiber that regular juicers leave behind. And what I love most about the Vitamix is that it isn't just for smoothies. Every Vitamix has an entire range of textures to choose from, so you can use it to make dips and spreads, nut and seed butters, hummus and guacamole, muffins, pizza dough, plant-based milk, and frozen treats. Vitamix has been around for 70 years, and all of their blenders are powerful, durable, and built to last, and they come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com shop and click on Vitamix. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insights to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelant. In the U.S., more than 40% of kids have at least one chronic health condition. And for those who have chronic ear infections, allergies, reflux, or constipation, oftentimes inflammation is to blame. For me, it was starting to understand that we have inflammation that food plays a big role in that we just didn't learn about in medical school and residency. That's Dr. Sheila Kilbane, a board-certified pediatrician who is trained in integrative medicine and a best-selling author. We'll talk about the signs of inflammation, nutritional deficiencies, and picky eating, plus easy changes you can make to your child's diet that can benefit the whole family. Well, Dr. Kilbane, welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. Thank you. It is great to be here. Great. Well, why don't we jump right in? Tell me a little bit more about your story and what led you to pediatric integrative medicine. Yeah. So I, when I got out of training, 
I, you know, and I'm in my general pediatric practice, I realized that I was prescribing medications and it was for the same illnesses. It was kids who had reflux, eczema, recurrent ear or sinus infections, abdominal pain, constipation, chronic runny nose, allergies, asthma, and I would give them a medication. So it would be either a steroid, an antibiotic, an antacid. We would do the medication for about two weeks and then take them off the medication and they would come back into the office sick again two weeks later. And I just thought, this isn't working, what I'm doing. So I started reading and studying and I listening. And I will remember it like it was yesterday. One of the moms came in and she said, you know, Dr. Kilbane, I took Johnny off of dairy. She was actually breastfeeding. So she took herself off of dairy. He had eczema and recurrent ear infections. And she said his eczema has improved, but he was still getting the recurrent ear infections. So then fast forward, and I had he'd had so many ear infections that we had I had referred them over to get ear tubes. And mom was kind of driving, dragging her feet, and there was an insurance glitch. So the, the procedure had been scheduled, but it had to be canceled. So it comes to his one-year well visit, and the day before, mom had a huge omelet, so a whole bunch of eggs, and Johnny had a really big eczema flare. So then we said, okay, his eczema is being triggered, you know, in part by dairy and eggs. Let's take mom and him off of dairy and see what happens. And so she did that and his eczema fully cleared up. And then I said, you know, come back in a few weeks and let's see, because he just, he had chronic fluid in his ears, which we have to be really careful with that because that can impact children's hearing. And they came back three weeks later and the fluid in his ears had totally resolved. So what I learned then as I started to really study and look into the research is that about a third of eczema can be triggered by food allergies or food sensitivities and dairy and eggs are the two big culprits. And then when it comes to ear infections, when kids have that chronic fluid in their ears and those recurrent infections, dairy can be a big trigger for that. Or, you know, gluten can also be. So it's, it was starting to, it was for me, it was starting to understand that we have inflammation that food plays a big role in that we just didn't learn about in medical school and residency. So I started to really continue to research a lot more and learn. And I would start to, I was pulling kids. Dairy was the biggie that I, I would mainly focus on at that point in time. And so we would pull dairy out of the kids' diets and I would see all, so many of these chronic issues just either melting away or improving significantly. So all those illnesses that I had listed, again, it was eczema and the recurrent ear and sinus infections and asthma, allergies, chronic runny nose, constipation, um, the bumps on the back of the arms, the cheeks and the thighs. And it, what I then found is that the parents, you know, not only the illnesses would improve or resolve, but they'd come back in and they'd say, you know what, Johnny is, he cleaned his room up when I asked him the first time and he did not have a big meltdown or he's falling asleep better or, you know, Sally is 
waking up easier in the morning. She's paying better attention in school. She's handling transitions better. So I found that these other things were improving in addition to the illnesses, the neurologic factors. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. And so what are the, you know, are there other common ailments that you're seeing in kids today? Yes. So what we're seeing all of these illnesses more and more frequently, and we're seeing more significant illnesses, including autoimmune diseases like thyroid disease, inflammatory bowel disease, such as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And we're also seeing younger and younger, these kids who have really significant gut issues. They, they might be babies whose moms are on a perfect diet and they're breastfeeding, but these babies are really fussy. They have a lot of gas. They're crying a lot. Um, and even the older kids that it, it's, it's getting more and more challenging to, improve the symptoms because the kids are getting these more significant illnesses earlier and earlier. And, and of course, food allergies are significantly on the rise. Right, right. And so what does research show? Does research support these findings? And do we know why all of these chronic conditions are on the rise? Yes. Yeah, so what we know now is that about 50% of kids today, so one in two kids has a chronic illness. And the, all of the other the illnesses, they are increasing. All of the ones that I've listed, their, their prevalence is increasing. And no, nobody knows, you know, if you, you look at any one single source, nobody has been able to point the finger at what is happening. But from all, everything that I've read and, and the research that I've studied, I really, I, I, we have changed our environment significantly. And we have different food. We eat a lot of food that isn't really food. It's, it's a lot of packaged processed foods. And the way that we grow our food is very different than the way it was 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. You know, we, we use a lot more chemicals and pesticides and herbicides. And then the, the things that we put on our bodies, so lotions, deodorants, toothpaste, shampoo. If you take a look, if, if anybody takes a look in their bathroom, you will see a wide array of products that smell a certain way. They have many different colors. So there are a lot of things that we're adding to our bodies that, that our, our kids' bodies are having to deal with that we never used to have to deal with that. And in the mid, it was the mid nineties, the environmental working group did a study and it's called the 10 human study. And they, they looked at 10 babies and they checked their cord blood for 400, almost 400 different chemicals. So that means what they were look, these babies have not set foot on the planet yet. And they wanted to see what was in their systems. And they found almost 300 different chemicals in their bodies. And previous to that, we thought that moms, that the placenta filtered out all of these things. But what we realized after that study is that these babies are being exposed to all of those things. And there were even some chemicals in this cord blood that had been banned 30 years prior to the study. Wow. You know, which is, right? Yeah. Which is the, the significant thing because even if we... You know, people, this is the, the classic is somebody will say, you know, I, I, I encourage my families to use as little plastic as possible, especially water bottles. 
And they'll say, well, we recycle, but that still has to be, that, that has to be created somewhere that eventually has to go somewhere. So we've got to start thinking about, you know, not only what we're putting into our bodies, but all of that is getting, is seeping into the groundwater. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the, in Europe, they don't, they don't allow uh, uh, many of the chemicals that we allow here. Right. And so does research, has research looked at that and, and found that inflammation and these chronic conditions in kids are, are less pronounced there? Yeah. You know, the, I don't know the, the numbers off the top of my head of the specifics of, you know, chronic like asthma, the asthma prevalence from here versus Europe. I'm pretty sure they're pretty similar across the developed world. We, what we do know though, is that in the developing countries, many of the autoimmune conditions are less prevalent. And part of that is, I'm, I'm sure that you've heard about it, Julie, and many of your listeners may have heard about the hygiene hypothesis, which what that talks about is that we live in a really clean environment, right? We have hand sanitizers as we're, we're living in a pandemic. So we've got to be careful. We've got to wash our hands. But we're living where our kids are not getting out and playing in the dirt, walking in the woods and doing the things that we, again, we used to 30, 40, 50 years ago. And we need bacteria. We need these things to prime our immune system. So what does that mean? When you get exposed to something, even when kids get an illness, that allows a maturation process for our immune systems. And we need that in order to create a good, healthy, robust immune system. So when you're living in a developing world where your food, you're eating your food a lot closer to the source, you might be growing food, right? You might be playing outside more. You may even be outside barefooted a lot more. You're going to be exposed to more of those things. Now that goes, you know, there are, there are a lot of confounding variables there because we know that one of the biggest thing, especially for children's health, are, are sanitation and clean water, good nutrition. So we, we want to have good nutrition and we want to have good sanitation, right? We want clean water, but we do need to be getting outside. We need things like fermented foods, you know, uh, sauerkraut, kimchi, things like that to help because we've got all of this bacteria in our gut. It's called the microbiome. And we've got to feed the good, healthy bacteria in the gut because that about 70% of our immune system happens in our gut. And that's plays a really big role in our overall health. Yeah, that's so important. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about inflammation and the effects that it has on our kids' health. People often ask me how I got my kids to be such healthy eaters. And the truth is that one of the best things I did was bring them in the kitchen with me to cook. And research actually shows that kids who learn how to cook eat more fruits and vegetables are more willing to try new foods and have healthier diets overall. If you don't know how to cook or don't like to cook, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. The course, which was created by a mom of four and former teacher, is designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, 
principal supply and grocery shopping lists and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. The course is designed for all kids ages two to teen and has three different skill levels. Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, make a salad, and safely use knives, the oven, and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that they even made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you're trying to cut down on processed foods and get your kids to eat more real whole foods and become healthy eaters, then the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. You can sign up for the course by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up today. So Dr. Kilby, we hear a lot about inflammation, but what exactly is it and what role does it play when we talk about our kids' health? Yes. I always talk about inflammation and I as in comparison to a sprained ankle. So everybody knows what a sprained ankle looks like, right? You you twist your ankle and we get all of these white blood cells get sent to that area in order to heal the tissue that was damaged when the ankle was twisted. And that's what inflammation is, is our body is sending white blood cells to different areas in order to heal whatever it needs to. But what's happening is that we've got all of this excess inflammation floating around because, you know, one, all the toxins that we're, we were talking about, we're exposed to a lot of things in our environment. And then we're eating a lot of foods and so uh, foods that are very inflammatory, and I'll go through the five main triggers of inflammation here in a minute, but we're getting, so we're getting these inflammatory cells in different areas of our body and we don't have fences in the body. So if we've got inflammation, you know, for one thing, let's just say, say you've got a, an environmental allergies to tree pollen, and then maybe you also have a dairy sensitivity. So when the tree pollen season comes around and we've got a cup full of water, you know, I liken our body to a cup and the inflammation to water. And if the water is overflowing, that's when we have symptoms. So if we say, let's decrease the dairy in the diet or take it out for a period of time and decrease that inflammation so that, you know, we can't dig up all the trees or, you know, cut down all the trees or dig up all the grasses. So we're always going to have those pollens that are coming up seasonally. But if we've decreased our dairy and we've brought that inflammation down, then when our cup starts to give, the, we bring the inflammation down to where it's maybe only a fourth or a half full, then we add in the tree pollen and maybe our cup only goes to about three-fourths full. So we're not going to have nearly the symptoms that we did when we also were having the dairy and getting exposed to the tree pollen. It's like overload. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we all have our underlying genetics, right? And we know that, you know, that's 
we've got our genetics and we could have an entire, you know, another two hour discussion about epigenetics, but just for, for the purposes of this, right, we've all got certain genetics. So we're predisposed to certain illnesses and things like that. And then it's the way that our genes interact with the five triggers of inflammation that create the, you know, the symptoms and the illnesses that we have. So we've got food, environmental allergies, environmental toxins, infectious diseases, and stress. And stress can be physical, it can be emotional, and all of those things can add equally to our inflammation. So it's I, I talk a lot to parents about really understanding the dynamics of the household because I think some people will jump to looking at just food or you're know, looking at other things and we also have to pay attention to how our parents, you know, what's the stress of parents? How are we? Because we all impact one another. So food is a biggie and we have to look at all the other pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know you uncovered research about inflammation and gut health. I'd love for you to talk through that. As we are decreasing the inflammation in these kids' bodies, it's it's impacting their gut health. And it's, so let's just, we'll use dairy as an example because that's such a big trigger of inflammation. So it's, we're, we're going to, we'll pull dairy out of the diet. And as importantly, we're going to add the foods in that are going to feed the good healthy bacteria. And the bottom line across the board is if we can increase our vegetable and fruit intake, that plays a significant role because the fiber and the nutrients in the fruits and the vegetables, especially the fiber, that is the food for the good, healthy bacteria. It also comes in nuts. Seeds have a lot of fiber in them. And it's one of the first things that I'll have families do if they're able to is to just swap out breakfast. And that's, if we could do a green smoothie for breakfast, that can play a really big role in feeding the good, healthy bacteria so that we have an overall really healthy gut, which is ultimately going to improve or, you know, lessen or or resolve altogether our symptoms, our asthma, our constipation, the chronic runny nose, you know, the recurrent infections. You know, especially if your child has been on antibiotics. You know, I've seen kids where they're on an antibiotic every month. Yeah. And we just make these these changes. I, they're simple changes, but they're not simple to make, right? It's a right. lot harder to implement. Yeah, I love the green smoothie idea, especially because a lot of kids don't like to eat breakfast and it's so easy to make a smoothie and fun for your kids too. Yes, and you get them involved and you can start adding, you, you start, Especially if it's a picky eater, you start with a lot of fruit. And we, the health coach in our practice, she always calls it a starter smoothie. You know, just go really heavy on the fruit and maybe you put one leaf of lettuce or, a, you know, a couple little microgreens or a little bit of kale or, a, you know, a leaf of spinach. And then you gradually, as the kids start to like it, you gradually decrease the fruit, you increase the greens, you start adding, you know, maybe you add a half or a teaspoon of chia seed, flaxseed, or hemp seed. And then you can even start freezing these. And this could be an after-school popsicle treat for the kids. You know, why not have that? Because it's going to taste just as good as, you know, any kind of a juice popsicle that you might get. 
and be way better than any of the, you know, just straight up sugar popsicles that have artificial colors in them. Yeah, I love that. Those are great ideas. So what are some signs that a child may have high levels of inflammation? Mm -hmm. So I, and I'm sure you too, Julie, I can see these kids from a mile away. So they've got dark circles under their eyes. They've got the bumps on their cheeks, their arms. They may have eczema. They're off, they can often be mouth breathers. You know, they, so they've got that cron, they, they sound like Darth Vader, right? They're like, <sighs> so it's that audible breathing. You shouldn't hear somebody breathing near you, you know, unless they're doing yoga breathing or something like that. And these are also the kids that will be, they might look a little bit bloated. They will have constipation or loose stools. You know, bowel movements, we should have one easy daily bowel movement. And in my book, I have a picture of the Bristol stool chart so that you can look at, look at the stools with your kids. They should look like a snake or a sausage, and that's a normal stool. And things outside of that are not normal. They, these kids might have a red ring around their bottom, right around their anus, Again, that chronic runny nose. So those, are, and they might be mouth breathers or snorers at night as well. So those are some of the outward signs that you can see. Great. And we talked a little bit about diet, but why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit more about the role that diet plays in preventing and treating chronic conditions? Because, you know, not only do we want to address these issues in childhood, but if we don't address them now, then they're only going to become bigger problems when our kids are older. Yes. So I, I recommend that all of families that I work with, whether it's in the practice or online, that they do this together. And the way that we started in my book is I do a mini cleanse. We call it a mini cleanse for kids. And it's, it's super simple. And you just, you first start by decreasing the sugar drinks. And sugar, the amount of sugar that's in about two, you know, like bottles of soda, which is about 100 grams, decrease it suppresses the immune system for up to five hours so one of that's one of the first things so if your kids are doing sodas or fruit juices fruit juices have you know not i'm not talking about like a juice like if you put an orange in a blender with some ice that's that's great but if you're just buying orange juice concentrate that a cup of juice has about the same amount of sugar as a cup of soda so that's not only going to suppress the immune system, but that's going to feed the not so healthy bacteria in the gut. So that is one really simple change that you can start to make. The whole family can make to begin improving the health. And so that's the first thing. And then we want to decrease the artificial dyes and colors. And then we want to start to decrease our, decrease our packaged snacks and do more fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds. I'd even rather you get a, you know, if you can get an organic baked chicken. And kids can have little pieces of chicken, you know, when they're ready for a snack versus something that you're going to open that is going to be a high carb, high sugar snack. And then we talk about the processed meats. So you want to avoid the deli meats, hot dogs. And if you can do more of the organic or nitrate free and then processed fats. So every time we go out to eat, we, our food is being cooked in these high fat, these vegetable oils, which are high in omega-6s and omega-9s, and those contribute to that inflammation. So right there is just a simple way for the whole family to start to, to really build up their 
to decrease their inflammation, support their immune system. And when our inflammation is at a minimum, our immune system can work more efficiently and effectively. And that's just, so I always start with that. And then we go on and talk about dairy and gluten and other things if we need to. But the beauty of this is that I've had so many parents go off their reflux medications, their migraines stop. They're, you know, they're able to have bowel movements again. They're, they're not snoring like they previously were and sleeping at night. And it's just, it's such, when you, when you see this with a child or an adult, just once, you just, you want to scream it from a mountaintop because it's, right. You get a clarity to the eyes. They get, their skin becomes really clear, especially for you moms out there, right? We are all, you know, how we're, we're all, we all want to look good. And when, when you start to eat like this, you know, I can see when I meet people, I can, I have a pretty good idea of how they eat because you can just tell from their skin. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, you know, I think this is so important and I think that there's just not enough attention paid to it, especially, you know, when you bring your child to the doctor, they're, they're always, you know, the pill first or treatment first, or um, they'll grow out of it. And there just isn't a lot of knowledge from the the pediatrician's side um, to help inform parents that there can be alternate um, ways to treat different things, natural ways. And so, you know, pediatricians, they only get about 24 hours of nutrition education. And so do you think more doctors are trying to learn about food as medicine and, and more natural ways to heal disease and prevent disease? Yes, for sure. And what I have found, and that's a hundred percent true. We get, when I trained, I got almost no nutrition education. And, you know, I learned that a significant deficiency of vitamin C causes scurvy, you know, and then some of the, the other major nutrient deficiencies, but we never learn what, how do you, what do you need to eat in order to maintain good health? And so that's why I always educate families on what to expect from their pediatricians. And we can't go in asking for a lot of nutrition advice when that's not where we get the training. Again, it's starting to change little by little. But what I have found is so many of my friends who are pediatricians or adult doctors, they've started to make a lot of these nutrition changes for themselves and, and sometimes for their families. But they're, they, they don't have the time or the, the knowledge at this juncture to implement this into a busy pediatric practice, right? You get right. 10 minutes, you know, five minutes, 15 minutes sometimes, and there just isn't enough time. And there's so much to study, you know, just to keep up with the medical side of things, you know, to throw in this whole area of nutrition, which I realize sounds absolutely crazy, but it's, you know, we've, we've got a demand as, you know, you as parents are the way that it's going to be changed. And this is, this is also why I wrote my book because I wanted families, I realized the medical system is going to be very slow to change. And I wanted parents to have this tool and also to, for, for other physicians, you know, and some of my, some of the feedback we've been getting with my book, it's my, it's so fun to get messages from my conventional pediatric 
doctor friends and say, hey, I have loved your book. I'm having these ahas because this is where we're going to start to really make some big headway in shifting the health of our children. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've found through my own health journey, I've I've been through um, quite a lot of uh, issues, minor things like anemia and and mm-hmm. and some bigger things, just a lot of you know anxiety, depression, things like that. And I've always kind of felt like, yeah, the the primary care physician, the the healthcare system is not set up in a way that they can reimburse for those types of services and and a longer appointment. And so what I've found is reaching out to a naturopath has helped me tremendously. And so what do you recommend for parents who want to find a provider who can help them with these sort of issues if it isn't going to be their pediatrician? So I have put links on my website for this because we get asked this all the time. And if you, you know, so people can go to my website, just SheilaKilbane.com. And then if you click through the private practice link and it, there's, there's another link that says integrative practitioners. Um, But you go, so I did my fellowship through the University of Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine, the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. You can go to their website and put in your zip code and you can find practitioners near you. And alternatively, you can also go to the functional, the Institute for Functional Medicine, and they have a link that you can go through. Yeah. And it's great. Yes. So you can find people near you. And that's why those of us who do this in the pediatric realm, we're doing everything that we can in terms of books and online courses and education, because there just aren't that many of us trained. You know, for some reason, I think it's been slow. The pediatricians have been slow to the bandwagon of integrative and functional medicine. Yeah, that is so true. So I'll definitely link to that in the show notes and we're going to head to a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about nutritional deficiencies in kids and picky eating. If you have picky eaters, you're not alone. And as a mom of two, I totally get it. But through the years as both a journalist and a mom, I've discovered the secrets to raising kids who love their veggies and will eat just about anything. And I want to share what I've learned with you in my free ebook, 15 Secrets to Raise Healthy Eaters and Put an End to Picky Eating. This book is filled with evidence-based real-life strategies that will help you raise healthy eaters without sneaking foods, bribing, negotiating, or making food into art projects. To get the book, just go to julierevelant.com and click on freebies. So Dr. Kilbane, what are some common nutritional deficiencies that you see in the pediatric population? Yeah, so probably the most common that I see is iron deficiency and vitamin D deficiency and zinc deficiency. And you know, I'm checking blood work in all of these kids and you don't necessarily have to be checking blood work. But what is happening is that when your system is very inflamed with one of those illnesses that I talked about, right? Reflux, eczema, recurrent ear and sinus infections. These kids who've been on a lot of antibiotics, constipation or loose stools, chronic runny nose, you know, poorly controlled asthma or allergies is that you've got a lot of gut inflammation. And the body isn't going to be absorbing the nutrients from our food as effectively and efficiently as it could be. So it, we don't always jump to supplementing. Depending upon where the levels are, I don't always jump to supplementing because the first thing that we start to do 
is we start to restore good digestive function. Because it's not, you know, I always want to make sure that if we're doing anything with families, if we're going to, if I'm going to suggest a supplement, they're not inexpensive, right? Good, high quality supplements. So I want to make sure that your child's body is going to be absorbing them. And so that's why we've, I've got a very specific way that I begin supplements, which I, I go over in the book and I'm happy to talk about here because we want to restore digestion and then, you know, what we, we do it all, you know, sort of simultaneously, but we do one thing at a time before adding in the next thing. And so is the approach adding in more whole foods to restore digestion first? Well, the first thing that we do is we add in a probiotic. And I have, I work with a company that we, you know, we have a, a, a line of a probiotic. We do that for five days. We do it at the start of breakfast and dinner. And then we add in a digestive enzyme at the start of breakfast and dinner five days later. So then once we do that, we're, then we will start to add in the omega-3 fats. And we, you know, we either do it as food or if the kids aren't eating, there just aren't a ton of foods that have omega-3 fats. And those are fats are what make up our cell walls. And they, are, they also are what make up our hormones. You know, so especially when we've got young growing kids or teenagers who are growing, going through adolescence, we really want to make sure that we've got enough of those enzymes that are breaking down our fats so that we can absorb them. And, you know, then we move on and we do vitamin D in the wintertime. I only supplement vitamin D for my patients in the wintertime, you know, unless I'm looking at levels because I want, we always want to get supplements and nutrients in as natural a way as possible. So we want to get, you know, we want to get sunlight. We don't want to burn, um, but we want to be able to get, you know, we absorb vitamin D. We synthesize vitamin D when we, our skin is hit with the sun, but it doesn't synthesize it if you don't have, um, if you have sunscreen on. So, but we don't want to burn. Um, So that's that. And then um, we either use a whole food supplement or a multivitamin mineral. And then once the kids are in balance, I talk about the food roadmap and the supplement roadmap. And then I talk you through, because once the kids are in balance, really all year round, I think the only thing they need is a whole food supplement or a multivitamin mineral. And then in the winter time, we add in the probiotic, you know, the, um, the vitamin D, you know, and then if needed, if the kids have still not incorporated enough of the omega-3 fats into their diet, you would continue that all year round. And then doing, and I know this is, it's a lot of information, but again, I lay it out super clearly in the book with graphs and we have a, I have a lot of colored images, but I talk in the book also about magnesium and zinc because we get magnesium from green leafy vegetables and we get them from we get it from pumpkin seeds and magnesium is a mineral that helps muscles relax it helps us have bowel movements it helps us to have healthy bones we need a, a good amount of you know an appropriate amount of magnesium in order for our calcium to be effective so most kids most people especially in the US are not getting adequate amounts of magnesium. So that's a supplement that almost all the kids in my practice, I have them on magnesium supplements. Great. And, and so many parents have kids that are picky eaters. Can that be a sign of nutritional deficiencies? 
Yes. Um, zinc deficiency in particular, when kids don't, a, a zinc deficiency can impact the palate and our taste buds. And then it com- things are compounded. And if we have, so if you have a zinc deficiency and you, you're a picky eater, that may snowball and then you're not eating enough food. So then you may have constipation. And when you're constipated, you feel really crummy and you're going to even feel less like eating. So it's all, I, when I first start working with the family, I do not focus on food. We know what the kids need. So the parents know that, but we start and we let the supplements do some of the work at the beginning and often organically the kids taste buds start to open up. And when they start feeling better, then they start eating more. And that would, a good example is a child, say you have a picky eater who's constipated. We would start with the probiotic, the digestive enzymes, and then we would go, we would add magnesium in and get them going, you know, so that they're hopefully going every day. And then we would maybe switch breakfast and start to add in that smoothie if we could do that. You know, and then we would, you know, we'd also add in zinc. Uh huh. Can you talk about the main ideas of what you call the seven steps to healthy kids, happy moms program that you outline in your book? Yes. So we always go through what we want. I'm very big on keep having, you know, myself and parents keep the long-term roadmap in mind. And I think, I want you to think about your child's health the same way you think about the way that you are planning a trip. So, right, we never get in the car or do any kind of a trip without knowing where we are. Because if we're going to plug something into our GPS, we've got to have our first spot. So the first thing we do is we, you complete an assessment. You know, how many times a day is your child having bowel movements? What does their skin look like? What does it feel like? Take a photograph. The second thing we do is identify the inflammatory illnesses. So those things that you and I have been talking about, we want to go through and really look at what is going on with the kids. And I've got a visual in the book. You can go through and circle the, you know, circle what is happening with your child. And then we want to identify the triggers of inflammation, you know, going through those five triggers. So food, environmental allergies, environmental toxins, infectious diseases, and stress. And we're never going to be perfect in any one of those areas. We just want to, you know, take little notches down in each of those areas. Fourth thing is decreasing factors that harm gut health. The step five are the five R's of gut healing using food. And I get into more detail on what to add in and what to take out. Step six are the five R's of gut healing using supplements. And then step seven is creating the long-term food and supplement roadmap. You know, because for some people, dairy is going to play a big role. You may not have to have it out of the child's diet, though, forever. You know, once Uh their gut inflammation decreases, you may be able to add it in or maybe have it on special occasions, you know, birthday parties, things like that. Okay. And you talked about allergies and eczema. And, you know, my daughter has some food allergies and we were working with our naturopath on some um, antioxidants and probiotics to try to lower the immune response. And I was wondering, do you think that that's an effective approach? We, we don't have research right now that I know of that is showing, you know, through supplements that we can resolve food allergies. In my experience, I've seen many kids where their food allergies do lessen. And 
I, I would never claim, though, that we, you know, resolve anaphylactic food issues. Um, what we do is by decreasing. So if you're, if we're triggering a cascade of inflammation, you know, say you have, we'll just use peanut allergy as an example. You know, if you've got a peanut allergy and you accidentally get exposed to the peanuts and you have a significant amount of systemic inflammation, that anaphylactic, um, you know, occurrence is, is going, you know, you're going to trigger a big amount of inflammation. Whereas if we have a, another child who's got really well, you know, their systemic inflammation is to a minimum, their reaction may be less. And it's, you know, I've also had kids, I had one kiddo who did have a, a very significant dairy allergy. And through the process, we, you know, he had a, he had a parasite. We treated the parasite in addition to a lot of other things. And he was then able to tolerate small amounts of dairy. Um, you know, and there's, there are also allergists who are really working and they're doing oral immunotherapy and things like that. I have one patient in my practice who worked with a really wonderful allergist for an oral sensitization. And so he is now, he's got to eat nine peanuts a day. But he, you know, now that mom, what a relief that is on those parents that they know that if he accidentally gets exposed when he's away from them, he's not going to have anaphylaxis. Right. Yeah. So we all know that our kids should eat healthy, but there's so many barriers, time and cost and picky eating. So how can we really make this easy for parents? So we figure things out when we're in crisis mode, right? We will move mountains to make changes, whether it's, you know, if you've got a loved one who's sick, right? We do whatever we can to change our schedule around to make time for that. We've got to make this a priority, and in my opinion. And it's don't wait until your child is in crisis mode to do this. And so we've got to figure, we've got to look at our schedules. How can we change our baseline? It's just like getting into shape. It takes a, a while and a lot of momentum to get over when you're, you know, maybe you feel overweight, maybe you feel sluggish. To do that first, you know, walk around the block is really hard. But once you make those changes, you shift your baseline. And when we shift our baseline, it makes it a lot easier. And like I said, the first thing is that I would just shift breakfast while you get things ready. And you want to make sure that you've got little containers to put. If we're going to, you know, cut up carrots and celery or put, you know, little nuts and seeds and things ready, We've got to have the containers ready, the containers that little hands can open. And if we're going to have food with us when we have tight transitions, and that, that's what I want you to look at your week of food the same way you look at your week of pickups and scheduling, you know, pickups and drop off. So if you've got a tight connection between picking someone up from school and dropping them off at soccer practice, have something there so you don't have to stop at one of the fast food restaurants to to get something. And it's, it's never going to be perfect, but if we can start doing that more and more and having your go-to snacks, I find that if you can get your go-to snacks together, the meals are a lot easier because parents have a lot more control over the meals. Right. I really love your approach. It seems very gradual and easy and practical. And, and so in your book, you also have recipes. What are your favorite recipes in the book? Yes. So we have some really simple ones 
that you can make today. We've got baked kale. I just, I have a, a family that was in yesterday and the little boy, it's constipation. He's, he can be a picky eater and he cannot get enough of the baked kale, right? He wasn't, he wouldn't eat it regular, but you can bake it. We've got crispy chickpeas and then we have a lot of the um, coconut turmeric rice is one of my personal favorites. It's super easy. You can mix and, you know, change up the ingredients but it's so yummy. I make it right in the rice cooker. So it literally takes, you know, five minutes to throw the ingredients in and then push the button and you have this really yummy rice dish. That sounds great. Excellent. Well, Dr. Kilbane, thank you so much for your time. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so SheilaKilbane.com. It's S-H-E-I-L-A-K-I-L-B-A-N-E. And if you do, you know, you can click on the book page, you know, forward slash book. Um, but on any page of the website, we've got a little link to the book page and you we've got downloads. You know, once you get your book, we've we've got a lot of supportive material. I have an online course that will will be out soon here. So, you know, fall of uh, late October, early November of 2021. It's a companion course for the book. And, you know, social media, we're on Facebook, just Sheila Kilbane, MD, social media and Instagram. Um, And we love to hear your wins and any of your stories or share recipes with us. So great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Appreciate all the work that you're doing, Julie. Dr. Kilbane's approach is so simple. And what I love most is that whether your kid is having issues or not, Making these simple changes can have a huge impact on our kids now and throughout their lives. If you found this episode helpful, I'd love it if you could go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating so we can reach more people. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 